Welcome to the Best Player Wins Podcast, where we believe that winning is winning, no matter by how little or by how much. We are your hosts. I am Nate Andries, hosting alongside Jake Deemer. This week, we have a third guest with us. JC, welcome to the podcast. I believe this is your first one this season, right? Yeah, it is. Welcome to the podcast. Excited to have you on. It's always a good time when we have you on as a guest, and I'm glad that your work schedule changed for you to finally get on here. So let's dive right into it. Uh, This is episode 15, so looking ahead to week 14. And overall, this is actually the 39th fantasy baseball episode that we have put out on the BPW podcast series. So inching our way close to 50. That's not overall. Like I said, that's just for baseball episodes. So we've been, over the last two years, cranking out some podcasts. I want to say we're at 30 or 30 plus for football and we're at 39 for baseball. So maybe I'll have to start tracking that for when we put out our hundredth overall episode, that'd be pretty interesting. But Jake, the overall uh, episode is when the entire league comes on the podcast. True. Actually, we might have to save that for like hundredth baseball episode. Cause for, you know, hundredth overall episode, do we bring, is it a chaos episode? Do we bring the entire football league and the entire baseball league? Yeah, let's have like a twenty. Let's have like a twenty-person roundtable podcast. We don't even have like it'll it'll just be about. It won't even be about sports. I wonder if that's ever been done. We could be the first. Jake, you had a strong week last week uh, in the matchup predictions. You went four and two, but Jerwin had an even stronger week, just continuing the absolutely smashing performance the guest has put on this season. He went five and one. Uh, we'll get back to that a little bit later because it seems like you and I, especially you, Jake, have kind of climbed out of the hole that we dug for ourselves at the beginning of the season. Let's start by looking back at week 13. Two big takeaways. JC, kick us off with your first. Uh, so mine was uh, with you, uh, Jake, and Nick. Um, just seeing that both of you guys, all, all three of the teams were within 27 points of one another. I think Nate, uh, you were at like 273. Jake was at 270, and Nick was 246. Um, so I, I had the detail of it being entailing that you really can't write off any team at this moment, um, especially in the top three, top four. Yeah, I like that. Actually, you, uh, I think you might have forgotten Brendan too. I think Brendan might have been the third highest score last week. Jake, Brendan gave you a scare. And who are you playing this week? I, I looked at it and I saw that whoever you were playing this week at Scott had an amazing day one. So, Jake, it just seems like all the sellers are giving you their best run for the money that they can when they play your team. Yeah, there's a, it, it, I guess people just get up to play me. Yeah, that was not my first takeaway. My first takeaway is that Round one of the playoffs is virtually going to be a bye week for the top seed of each division. So this might sound contrary to what I just said, but unless Jake is one of those top two seeds, I think it's going to be a virtual bye week because each of Scott, Mike, Eddie, Jerwin, Brendan, and now JC, you've joined the fold of sellers. You guys have made distinctly clear selling moves. 
um, which means that the top seed of each division is going to get to play a team that is clearly not at 100% for the year 2022 in the first round of the playoffs. I know that you know we in the past week have kind of made these funny insinuations based on the results from our inaugural expansion season where last year the two wild cards upset the two division winners in the first round but i would personally put any amount of money on the top two seeds prevailing in round one of this year's playoffs unless one of those is jake (laughs) jake what's your first big takeaway uh mine's kind of similar it's like does anybody really want the wild card spots because there's more sellers this year than there have been in past years uh it seems like nobody wants those spots but I guess this is where I would I will ask JC and I'm not I like I'm not trying to, to crap on the strategy or anything I'm just generally curious what is motivating you as a playoff team like firmly in the playoffs too to sell uh so after I took the 0-2 loss and then I saw that I was playing Nick um I saw I had a chance to at least secure to keep my one like one foot in somewhat this year and one foot in stronger for next year because I was pretty confident looking at other teams that I would not be probably Nick or Nate and I feel like if I'm not comfortable winning at all then why not just go for the best chance to try to get a first round pick for next year but kind of keep that foot in there. Even okay. I mean, that was just I was just curious about it because I I know a lot of teams like last year we didn't have this where I know Sam was kind of doing the one foot in one foot out thing but Sam has always kind of has always kind of done that right <laughs> so uh, I I didn't really think anything of it and I know Jerwin wasn't doing that as the other wild card team so I don't think Eddie was either and he was right there as well so I didn't I was, plan to but I mean my team got humbled with injuries. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Walker, like I Walker. said, I'm not, I'm not like trying to discourage the strategy or anything. I was just curious about the thought process behind it since we haven't really seen that before. I didn't just, really plan to, unless I could get the guy I went for or Nestor Cortez. So they're really the only two players I would have sold for. Two thoughts to add. One, yes, JC, your team did get pretty wrecked. Salvador Perez got hurt. Walker Bueller got hurt. Tyler Malley's currently hurt. I know I'm missing somebody. Didn't somebody get hurt for the year that you had to drop? Anthony Rendon. That's who it was. Yeah, yeah. You've, you you kind of had bad luck. I was also going to say, speaking of Sam, shout out to Sam, because you mentioned, JC, that you didn't know if you could beat me or Nick. Sam's team is, in my mind, like with the trade that he made with Eddie this past week, has now firmly entrenched himself. Even if it's just as number three, I think that he is now once again on the same tier with the with the very top tier of teams in the league. But my second takeaway, kind of continuing this conversation, and it's going to be a theme throughout the episode. You'll you'll understand when we get to the main segment, but people are not afraid of moving big time keepers this year. Here's a list of the keepers that have been traded this year, guys. Kyle Tucker, Dylan Cease, Jordan Alvarez, Tim Anderson, who has been traded three times this year. Pablo Lopez, Shohei Otani, Tyler Glasnow, Carlos Rodon, who has been traded twice, Joe Musgrove, Ramber Valdez, who has been traded twice, 
Jose Altuve, who has been traded twice, Alejandro Kirk, Byron Buxton, Freddie Peralta, Luis Severino, Austin Riley, Dustin May, Matt Olson, Corey Seager. There were a few that I was kind of debating putting on this list, but those are like, I feel like very clearly heavy hitting keepers. That is a long list. And some of those guys, obviously I mentioned, have been traded two or three times. So I definitely want to say that this year, maybe it's recency bias, but I think that big time keepers are moving way more frequently this year than they ever have before. Uh, JC, we'll kick it to you for your second big takeaway. For my second big takeaway, I had the battle for first and second in the West. Is I feel like it's just going to be an absolute battle. So I, I had this. Uh, this is literally going to be anyone's game, too, for either Nate, Cork, or Jordan. And then on the contrary, while reflecting in the East, I didn't b- believe that any team will probably take over Nick at the number one spot. I think that for the second, that it will come down to the wire with Jake and Sam. Jake, what is your second big takeaway? Uh, mine's more just like a bonus league history fact, because I I was going to do this for this week anyways when they announced the All-Star Game rosters, but then I had a better league history fact that I got. So I just kicked this one to big takeaways because I can do whatever I want for this. Uh <laughs> So I'm just breaking down the all-star game rosters based on how many teams um, or how many, how many teams got or how many players got for each team. Uh, Nick leads the way with 11 all-stars. And I guess I should clarify, I did not count any reserves that are coming out. These are just the original rosters. Nick leads the way with 11. Nate, you're right behind him with 10. Uh, I'm in third here with eight, followed by Jordan with seven. Sam has six. Brennan and Courtney both have five. JC has three, Scott has three, Mike has two, Jerwin has one, Eddie does not have any in the original All-Star Game rosters before they start shuffling in replacements. Well, there you go. The wild card, wild card race update. Uh, JC, you have the first wild card spot right now, the NFTs with a 13 and 13 record right behind you. I guess I shouldn't say right behind you, but the eighth seed, the second wild card currently is Brendan ass in the jackpot with a nine and 17 record. And then actually right behind him are both Eddie and Jerwin gone forever and team positivity with eight and 18 records. Each of them have that same record. And then further along behind those two in in the last two spots, I don't necessarily think that these two are going to, or even attempting to make a climb back up. But Big Money Mike with a record of 6-20. And And in last place, Scott, Team No Name with a 5-21 record. Guys, we had uh, not a ton of trades this week, but each trade that happened was pretty heavy hitting. And obviously there was uh, some drama surrounding the trades, but let's just jump right into it. The first one was I gave up Matt Olson and Andrew Vaughn, and Eddie gave up Pete Alonzo. JC, what were your thoughts on this first trade? Uh, I think obviously here um, Polar Bear Pete was the biggest piece. Um, but honestly, I, I think it was a good deal for both sides. I'm not a huge Vaughn guy. Um, but I think it, he's a great keeper either way, just because of how late he is. I'm, I think he's like above around 20. He might be like 24, 25. 
but 21, I, I believe. 21. So still really good. Lots of value there. I just know, I think it was his last 15 games. He was hitting like 201. Um, and his strikeout rate at the end of June was like 13%. So, you know, he's showing a lot of discipline there. Um, I think he slumped off since, I, I think, because, but he, he still improved from last season, which was about 21 to 22%. Um, so I think there's good value in Vaughn, but I think overall, I I really like Polar Bear Pete here. So I think it was a good trade overall. Jake, do you want to jump in? Yeah, I don't really have a whole lot to add. I mean, I thought this was a fine deal for both sides. This this felt like the right price for, for Pete Alonzo. Second trade of the week, Sam gave up Chris Sale, Josiah Gray, and Corey Seager. Eddie gave up Max Scherzer, Luis Garcia, and Andrew Vaughn. Jake, I will toss it to you first. Yeah, I like Sam's return more just because um, I'm honestly not real crazy about Chris Sale anymore. I I know that I've, I think I've talked about his mechanics on here before, how they're like god awful. And uh, it's been talked about for a long time that they thought he was breaking down. I think that is finally happening. Um, I don't, he was really bad last year. Like the, I think his number, I think he was fortunate to come out with the numbers that he did. Velocity was way down. Control was kind of a mess. He was way, really hittable last year. He was pretty bad. I don't know that we're really going to see prime Chris sale again, at least not in this one year window that Eddie has now because he only had it because Sale only has one year of control. Um, I still like Corey Seager. I'm a big Seager fan. But Eddie also gave up a pretty good keeper in Andrew Vaughn in this trade, along with the big piece of the deal, which is Max Scherzer. So I, I lean more towards, um, towards Sam's side. JC? Uh, I don't really think too much of it, but... Um... I actually didn't. I, I, I like Chris Sale, but I think maybe Jake has a point there. But my point for it was, to be honest, I, I just I'm not really big on Josiah Gray. To be honest, I don't even know where he came from. Uh, I know he's been doing like pretty good this year and he can be kept. Really love Seager. Um, but I think with Sam, him going in and getting Andrew Vaughn back. So his keeper pool, you know, doesn't really get depleted. Uh, it's a pretty good move. Fun fact, this is actually the second time that Josiah Gray has been traded for Max Scherzer because he was traded as part of the real-life trade between the Dodgers and the Nationals last year, which landed the Dodgers, Trey Turner, and Josiah Gray. They sent back... That is is a fun fact. Kybert Ruiz, Josiah Gray, and maybe one more piece, but I know definitely those two. Now, I'm going to refrain from commenting on this trade and actually giving my thoughts on this next question. But I am curious for your guys' thoughts. If you are in a seller's position, what is your philosophy between balancing getting the best keeper possible and not trying to make one team too strong? Like, do you try to balance those? Do you, do you care? Again, I'm going to just withhold because obviously I've spoken my mind enough this week, but I'm just curious where you guys kind of fall on that conversation. No, I'll just selfishly do whatever is best for me. I don't care about anybody else. <laughs> that's, that's my only thoughts on that. I, I, I don't care about anyone else. No, nobody else is my friend. JC, would you take a lesser deal to 
make it so that one team didn't get too strong? I mean, it really depends like what I'm getting back. Like if it's the best keepers, like I'm, I'm going to go for the best keeper. If he gets like over, I, I don't really believe in like trying to trade up like your whole team for him, but I mean like paying that fair price, you know, um, doesn't always have to be that crazy. I mean, like, but I, I would go for the, whatever it takes to get the best keepers. And then the last trade of the week, JC, you got in on the action. You've been trading a lot more this year. I've been uh, very pleasantly surprised. This was a big trade. You gave up Alec Manoa and George Springer. And got in return from Jordan, Kyle Tucker. So I'll finally weigh in since <clears throat> didn't weigh in on the last one and didn't really weigh in on the first one because it was my own trade. But JC, I was really disappointed that you decided to take one year of eligibility left, ninth round Kyle Tucker for these two guys over my offer to you, which was Nestor Cortez. Um, I think it's very close, so I don't necessarily think you could have gone wrong one way or the other. I was just personally disappointed because obviously that was my offer to you. Um, All of that being said, I think, I don't really know how I feel about this because you're a playoff team, right? So you're getting hurt this year by making this trade, but obviously setting yourself up in a better position for next year. And Kyle Tucker is definitely one of the top five keepers in the league, in my opinion. So I don't think that you uh, didn't do well if the goal was to sell, which clearly it was. Otherwise, you don't make this trade. I just I think Jake kind of already alluded to it with his takeaways. I don't. I don't know what I would have done in your situation. I don't know if like I would have sold or if I would have tried to keep pressing and, and buy. Um, but given that your intention was to sell, I do think that you did well. Like you got an elite keeper from this trade. Jake, uh, I'll toss it over to you. I, I'm surprised. I, I like Kyle Tucker more than like probably a good deal more than Nestor Cortez as a keeper. There's some chinks in the armor of Mr. Uh, Nestor Cortez showing up these last couple Last couple of weeks. I think Kyle Tucker is basically bulletproof. He is, but has a third of the eligibility left four rounds earlier. It just depends on your preference, I think. I was actually not for this league, but I was looking into the peripherals between two specific guys that both happen to have the exact same keeper eligibility and both happen to be 2022 breakouts just this past week, uh, those two being Nestor Cortez and Tony Gonsolin, your guy, Jake. And Nestor actually has all of the better peripherals than Tony Gonsolin. K percentage, walk percentage, XERA, FIP. So I think lately Nestor has definitely come back down to earth, but I think if you have confidence in Tony Gonsolin moving forward, which I I do presume that you do, uh, I don't think that there's any reason to not have the same confidence in Nestor Cortez, but I think we're getting a little bit off track. <laughs> I mean, this is another one. I think this was fair price for Kyle Tucker. JC, do you want to, I mean, I, you got, you already talked us yeah. through your thoughts, but specifically, do you want to, I guess, talk us through since we're talking about Nestor Cortez, just why you prefer Kyle Tucker to him? Yeah. I feel like we had this conversation like not even too long ago, just kind of like, it's good to have that elite pitcher, but to me, like the only other combo of like this trade that I would, which I did aim for, which is like Corbin Burns, but like, you know, that's the, he's staying on Sam's team. Everybody knows that. So um, 
though I like Nestor, I just like you can see the stability this year with like hitters and like having that good core and hitting because they can usually always try to get you out of that jam. And um, though I liked Manoa, he he just kind of slumped a bit. I, he's obviously I'm pretty sure just going to pick it back up. But originally in this trade, uh, Jordan and I were going back and forth for probably like an hour or so, and uh, I, I I ended up just like walking away. And then I took a couple hours and I just ended up just sending him the trade because at first I I just really couldn't get my head around it. Then I was like, you know what, this is definitely going to put me in a better position and doesn't really completely take me out of like fourth or fifth place. Yeah, going back to the Corbin Burns comment, JC, you had no shot at Corbin Burns. Hey, man, you got to shoot your shot. But at one, least Tucker's going to retire as an NFT. One, because Sam wouldn't trade Corbin Burns. I've heard some of the offers that he's rejected for Corbin Burns. Yeah, it's aggressive. And two, In a good way. because Sam doesn't make trades that he doesn't win. Unless it's like a buyer-seller thing where he's selling... I guess then you can maybe make an argument, but it's very clear when Sam is in contention that if he is not benefiting more this year from the deal, like he's he's just not going to trade. And I think that's why we've seen him not uh, make as many moves this year. Now, I will say that the one time that that's come back to bite him, at least so far, I guess it'll depend on what the guy that he got from the trade does when he returns. But so far, it's looking like trading away Austin Riley for Fernando Tatis might come back to bite him just a little bit because Riley's definitely turning it up. Um, but let's continue this talk of, of keepers. Our main segment this week is actually going to be a keeper draft. So the rules are simple. We are going to make 18 total picks since I know technically we do an expansion draft to get our six pick, but keeper pools are typically six total players now with the expanded 12-man league. Um, We're not going to draft six keepers for 12 different teams. We're just going to do it for the three of us. So assume all keepers that are eligible going into next season, 2023, are available in the draft. We're going to do a snake. And JC, you're going to kick us off with the first overall pick. So who are you picking number one overall in this keeper draft for your pool? I'm going to take Corbin Burns. Corbin Burns, and do you have written down... Uh, when he is eligible for how long if not i do but i don't okay corbin burns is eligible for one more season uh, and he will be kept in the 10th round next year so number one overall pick in the keeper draft jc takes corbin burns jake you are next you're on the clock who are you taking give me carlos rodon carlos rodon yeah Got two years left, 16th round and 12th round. One of the, when he's on, probably second to DeGrom. Just in terms of talent. Yeah. So you guys took, and I think I might have some spicy opinions for this draft, but you guys actually took the keepers that I currently have ranked number three and number four. So you're probably asking, who do I have as my top two keepers? And this is a snake, so I get to take both of them, actually. My number one ranked keeper, and you guys are probably going to ask me why after this. And this is, this, this is going to totally sound biased, but I am a 1,000% pulling the trigger on Spencer Strider 
as my first keeper. He is eligible for three more years, next year in the 20th round, the following year in the 16th, and then the year after that in the 12th. Why is he my number one keeper? Well, one, because he's looked awesome this year since he's entered the rotation. Two, he is one of very few, he might be the only, as, as you know, for all I know. I haven't really looked too far into it. But he is one of the only Sparps this year that will actually retain Sparp eligibility next season because he has made, I believe it's nine appearances out of the bullpen. I know the threshold is eight, and I know 100% that he has crossed that threshold. So he will actually retain SPRP eligibility going into next year. And the other question you might ask is, you know, the sample size is so small. How can you trust that? And I think the question for me is, why not trust that? What has he done to suggest that he is not going to continue to kind of mold into this ace pitcher? He has basically been the total package since he has entered the Atlanta Braves starting rotation. So all I'm doing is kind of expediting this process where, you know, when Corbin Burns was first eligible to be kept, nobody was calling him the number one keeper in our league, or at least I don't remember it being like that. It took us a year or a year and a half to kind of come around to this idea. Okay, Corbin Burns is the top five pitcher. That makes him the best keeper in the league. I think Spencer Strider is is well on his way to being a top 12 to 15 starting pitcher. And, and having that relief pitcher eligibility, I think I'm just kind of expediting it and saying by the end of the, this three-year span that he will have been the best keeper over those three years. Very long-winded. I don't think it's that crazy. I'd Strider at five. My six. Okay, so you guys are kind of on the same page with me. Maybe not as crazy as number one overall, but but he's up there for you guys as well. That's good for me to hear. My next uh, keeper, I get to make the first pick of the second selections, if you will. This is another kind of aggressive ranking, uh, but I this is just kind of speaks to the belief that I have in his talent and what I believe that he's going to develop into. Really what he is already developing into, if you look at the last 60 days. But my pick is Julio Rodriguez, who is eligible for two more years after this in the 16th round and then in the 12th round. He's eligible at both center field and right field, which I don't know about you guys. I don't know who your right fielders have been. I guess, JC, it was George Springer who you just traded away. But I have been having a lot of issues filling my right field spot with a quality bat all season. So that may play into this a little bit, uh, just kind of this bias. But I, I was kind of looking at the right field pool earlier this week, and it's pretty much all studs and scrubs. You have like Bryce Harper, Aaron Judge, uh, Juan Soto. And I, I know I'm missing probably two more names, but then after that, there is this huge. I guess I didn't. Also, I also didn't say Julio Rodriguez. He's one of those guys. There's just a huge drop-off, so more than the center field eligibility, which I think in years past might have been scarce. I really love just the dual eligibility with Julio getting that right field eligibility. Um, and I think he's going to be a superstar. I think he is kind of that next Ronald Acuna, Fernando Tatis, Juan Soto. I think he's going to be mentioned, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I think he's going to be mentioned in the group with those guys as soon as next year. So that is my second pick in the keeper draft jake back to you for your second pick take my number three joe musgrove in the 10th round i know he only has one year but that's fine uh 
Uh, he's going to be a free agent. I know. So that kind of throws a little bit of unknown onto this, but I mean, he's been outstanding and the volume's going to be there as well. That's a big deal in our league. But give me Joe Musgrove. Joe Musgrove for Jake as his second keeper. JC, give us uh, not only your your second keeper, but also your third keeper. You're up on the uh, on the turn here. So right here, I actually took Jordan Alvarez, who I think got drafted in a six this year. Yes. Um, so That makes I, him eligible in the fourth round next year and then the third round the year after. Yeah, so I took him, and then um, right back I took uh, – Kyle Tucker. All right. Going with the bash bros down in Houston back to back. I like that a lot. Just offense is, is super important to you is essentially the, the argument for grabbing those two back to back. Yeah. I mean, I kind of already, you know, I, if I take burns here, my, my whole strategy, I was, my fault was I probably wasn't looking like for a full three years, but I was more looking for like the next year of like what keepers I want to roll in with. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much what I was doing. And I was also contemplating either Tucker or Alcantara. But if I may, I think sure. that this year where we see you listed all those top keepers that have been traded. I think if you're looking more than one year, maybe two years in advance, that's kind of a foolish thing to do because there's a very good chance those guys aren't going to be on your team for all three years. And there, it seems like there's a pretty good chance if your team is good, they're not going to be on your team for the full two years either. So I think you're better off maybe just being a little more short-sighted with it. Oh, That's I just agree. my opinion on it. I don't think really you should look out past like two. For me, obviously, it's one. I disagree, and let me tell you why. I think that you need to factor in multi-year eligibility because – not only are you taking the player's performance into next year, that is just one piece of the puzzle. What you guys, I think, are neglecting to include in the picture here is the trade value that player already carries as soon as you keep them heading into the, you know, the next season when they have multiple years left. So, for example, Kyle Tucker is the better player. I'm just going to use the comparison that we've already made on the episode here. Kyle Tucker is the better player than Nestor Cortez. No doubt in my mind. However, as soon as the calendar flips to next year and we exit the draft with our teams, who has more trade value, say, a month out of the deadline? Kyle Tucker or Nestor Cortez? Now, Kyle Tucker is going to give you better production up to that point than Nestor Cortez, but is Cortez still going to be very good option i believe so and then he's going to add that twofold value of being a big piece that you could move for even more value to your team that season so i think that that's the piece that why i factor in multi-year eligibility and put a little bit more weight on it than you guys i think it definitely like it's from we can probably see from this episode it's definitely uh manager preference right like for for me, um, I think looking out like that far, like it doesn't really like honestly intrigue me that like if somebody comes up to me with a trade and it's like, hey, he can actually be kept for three years, but the guy you're giving me, I don't know, can be kept just next year. Um, I, I think you don't want to overlook it, 
but I feel like, you know, you don't kind of like what Jake was saying earlier, like you don't really know, right. Where that guy's actually going to fully be or end up. Yeah. That's kind of what I was saying. Year three is sort of meaningless to me. I mean, I get what you're saying about year two, but honestly, like, I think Kyle Tucker is the guy that you trade Nestor Cortez for the next year. Yeah, I mean, some too. Yeah. Right. That's kind of what my thought is like Kyle Tucker's a borderline first round player. That's who you would probably like to trade Cortez to get. Okay. Right now, Nestor Cortez has 235 points scored on the season. Kyle Tucker has 256 points scored on the season, outperforming Nestor by 21 points. This time next year, say they have similar outputs, but let's give Kyle Tucker a little bit more of an edge. Let's say he's outperforming Nestor by 40 points this time next year. Are you wanting the guy that is giving you two and a half more points total per matchup that's per week, but doesn't have any keeper eligibility to either take into next season with or use as a trade chip to improve your team even more than what that player is giving you? Or will you take two and a half less points per scoring period and have the guy that you have multiple options with, whether that's carrying him into next year or trading him to get other big-time pieces that are going to help your team even more than that guy can? For me, it just... I, I know we're using two specific players here, but I'm really just trying to illustrate a picture of if it's even close, the output that you're getting, I'll take the multi-year guy 10 times out of 10. I think it also, too, determines, like, you know, where you're – obviously nobody knows, but, like, what that piece is going to be for you, right? Like, next year, like, right now, you might be thinking, okay, you know, I can keep Nestor for this long. But coming next year, if you're going for it, you you might have to sell him. You don't know. Right. And versa with Tucker – you know, say I get him this year, you know, really good pick, but um, say, I don't know, same position as last year, team goes down, I sell him. But if he's at that production, you can still kind of laterally get those key, you know, you get the keeper return now. And you can always buy back. That's what I'm, I was thinking on. Yeah, that's kind of what I, I kind of align with what KC is saying here. You can, I mean, you can always just flip Tucker for a keeper of, Cortez's value and then you have the advantage that year or you could just flip them back and get a similar keeper yeah I I hear what you guys are saying I think that typically in buyer seller transactions that the buyer usually has the upper hand I feel like that's the observation that I have made over the years like it seems like when there's a really good keeper sellers typically will throw caution to the wind and just keep piling on until the till the buyer says okay that's enough i'll give you the keeper i don't think that it's the other way around where you know say a seller has a kyle tucker on an ex- on an expiring contract if you will he can't be kept it's not the other way around where the buyer's like i'll give you my best keeper and if that's not enough i'll give you my best keeper and my third best keeper like typically it's the other way around for really good keepers Sellers will give the top, you know, one through five assets on their team, any combination of those guys, just to get the one really good keeper. And to put it in retrospect, too, in Jordan and I's conversation, I didn't even know till about mid trade actually how long Tucker had. I knew he had at least next year, but I had no idea after that. And I was, and then he was like, yeah, well, he, he you know, it's last year is next year. That's when I was like, okay, well, 
he's just going to retire with me. There you go. Jake, let's get to your third pick of the keeper draft. Let me recap so far. First seven picks. One, JC took Corbin Burns, eligible in the 10th round next year. Two, Jake took Carlos Rodon, eligible for two more years in the 16th and the 12th. Three and four, my first two keepers were Spencer Strider and Julio Rodriguez. Strider is 20-16-12. J-Rod is 16-12. Fifth, Jake took Joe Musgrove, eligible in the 10th next year. Sixth and seventh at the turn, JC took Astro teammates Jordan Alvarez and Kyle Tucker. Jordan eligible in the fourth. And then third, Tucker available in the ninth next year. That brings us to Jake with the eighth pick. You're on the clock. Yeah, I guess this will be the first one that I like, we're kind of getting to a block now where it's having a little bit of trouble ranking these, but I'm going to go with Sandy Alcantara. Uh, he's, I shouldn't say he's perfect for our league because he doesn't strike out a whole lot of guys, but the amount of volume and the bonuses you you can get on top of that for complete games and whatnot, like the Marlins just will run him out there. To, he'll throw, he could throw like 115 pitches, but he is just the absolute work workhorse, and he's he's the number one pitcher in our league. And I think it's his current trajectory. I have a hard time seeing him fall out of the top five. And I know that it's really early; he's in round four. But I, I think in our league, he's probably a maybe going into next year back end of the first or really early first couple picks of the second sort of player. And that's plenty. That's a, that's more than enough of a discount in round four for me. So Jake takes Sandy Alcantara eligible in the fourth next year, eligible in the third, the following year. I am now up at the turn. So my third and fourth keeper selections, I am going to go, I'm going to double tap starting pitching and I'm going to take Dylan Cease who is eligible in the 11th round next year. And then the eighth round in the following year. And then I'm going to take Tyler Glass now, who is triple season eligibility in the 13th round next year, the 10th round the year after, and the 8th round in the final year. So, again, double tap and starting pitcher. I took Dylan Cease and Tyler Glass now. Jake, you're back up for your fourth keeper selection. This one's going to be probably another... Well... And I'm just I'm going to ignore the rules because well, I, I'm just going to take the top of my board. Uh, you it's can't a, take a guy that's in the same round unless you're keeping one less overall. I'm, I'm, I'm going to play. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it fun and enforce that rule. All right. Well, I was kind of hoping that one of you guys would do that because I wanted to enforce that rule. Just to yeah, you you got you got your gotcha moment. Give <laughs> me one second. <laughs> wanted to make it more interesting. Um, okay. I'll go with uh, I'll go with my guy then. I'll go with Tony Tony Gonsolin. Tony um, and yeah, I was about to say Tony Disco, but that's Anthony no. Nascafani. Yeah, but t- we, uh, dude, Tony Gonsolin looks like he belongs in a disco. He does. I I have a feeling that he has like some really some really good uh, like what are those old like the old tie like the tie dye shirts and colored shirts, whatnot. But yeah, I like Tony Gonsolin. Um, uh, I know you cited his peripherals, but I, I think we're going to call it the Jack Flaherty effect where 
the the FIP, the, the fielding independent part of the fielding independent pitching is actually more deceiving than we would realize where the defense behind Tony Gonsolin is actually outstanding and will benefit him. Uh, saying to the same effect that Jack Flaherty does where the Cardinals defense is so good that those more, more balls in play really isn't a bad thing. And Gonsolin is a big time strike thrower. He's wicked efficient. And uh, honestly, I think with time, he's only going to, he's only going to turn into kind of that volume machine where uh, he's going to, the strikeouts won't be there, but he's going to pitch deep into games because he's so efficient and because he throws so many strikes, he has the Dodgers defense behind him. And uh, it's the Dodgers. He's going to get a lot of wins. I normally don't factor in wins too heavily, but when you're, when you're on one of those outlier teams, I think it's fair to say Gonsolin's going to win more than his fair share of games. So I'll take Tony Gonsolin here, uh, 14th, 11th, and then in the third year in the eighth. But after crapping on the third year, I don't think I can really say that really factors in. By the way, I like Tony Gonsolin too. I was just bringing up a frame of reference for Nestor. They're actually very, their peripherals are very close to one another. Yeah, I mean, that's something that's just I was planning on talking about that with Gonsolin anyway. It's just because I know that that's like I think that I, I think that's part of the interesting thing with these with these ERA estimators is they don't factor in in stuff like that, where like they don't really factor in the defense, which I mean, it, it's by design. But sometimes when you do have like these outlier clubs that are just that put these good defenses out there, like it doesn't matter that Gonsolin is putting like is putting so many ball at putting more balls in play than say somebody else who has higher strikeouts because that defense behind him and the contact is generally soft. Like those plays are very makeable for the, for the defense. So JC, you are up uh, for the turn. You are selecting your fourth and fifth keepers. Who do you got? Uh, So for right here, I I had uh, Shannon Mack being kept in the second. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I like McClanahan as a second rounder next year, but with so many keepers still on the board, do tell why you uh, selected Sugar Shane here in the second round. And then I guess he'd be eligible in the first round the year after. Wait, yeah, he would, well, he would be in the, the first round the year after, right? Yes. Yeah, I mean, he, he's, I would say, probably the most elite pitcher, or at least top three pitcher. I remember looking over some things he was like 96 percentile for whiff rate um he was in the like 86 or 88 percentile for chase rate fastball velocity he was at 94th percentile for velocity fastball velocity i mean so he's got some elite stuff and i I think he's really worth the pick in second and uh even like if in reality, like with Nick, I, I know it's always tough to, to. I always feel like to take a guy for a second or third, but I feel like you get some really good value there. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't fault it. I, I think that he will be a good keeper in the second round. I've just noticed, JC, that uh, between your four keepers, all of them are in the first ten rounds. So you have Shane McClanahan in the second, Jordan Alvarez in the fourth. Kyle Tucker in the ninth, Corbin Burns in the tenth for next season. So I'll be interested to see if for your next pick, this this fifth keeper for your pool, 
You're going to go with a later guy or you're going to continue the trend of an early guy. So who's your, who's your next pick? Uh, I have Max Fried. Max Fried. Max Freed. Freed. <laughs> and he, yeah. he was drafted in, was it the, was it the sixth round this past sixth year? Round, uh, so he actually, he has one year of eligibility left. It's around, it's round four. Ah, so oh. you can't select him unless you're only taking five no, total keepers. No, no, I don't want to do that. Um, You'd be fried if you did that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't know. Give me like... While JC is deciding, I, I could... Jake could leapfrog you. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Who's who's your pick, JC? Or are you still deciding? I'm still deciding. All right. Okay. Go I ahead, was dude. just gonna fill in. The, I was just gonna fill in the space while he was picking. While he was picking. Oh, give me Freddie Peralta. I'll take that. Well, he didn't want. It. He didn't want you to fill in the space, Jake. He's taking Freddie <laughs> <That's> P <fine. laughs> in the ninth round next year, and then he has one more year of eligibility thereafter in the seventh round. Actually, JC, you have Kyle Tucker in the ninth round. Boo. Oh, boo. All right, then Austin Riley. Austin Riley. Oh, my God. Finally, we get one that's eligible to be kept by JC and is not in the ten, you know, top 10 rounds. So JC takes Shane McClanahan and Austin Riley on the turn. Jake, I don't know if you wanted to share what you planned on, but you are on the clock for your fifth keeper selection, if not. Uh, I'm going to take a fun pick here. A little earlier than I would have liked, but have some fun with. I have a feeling I know who it's going to be. All right, I'm going to take Shohei Otani. He's going to be two years eligible, sixth round in the fourth round. Uh, I think he's really taken a massive step forward as a pitcher. Doesn't really get a whole lot of shine for it because Fantrax doesn't really doesn't show his pitcher stats; only shows his hitter stat. I don't know why they do that. It's a weird creative decision, but. yeah, Shohei Otani's taking a huge step forward as a pitcher. Um, Want to say his pitcher points actually, if you added them all up, at least a couple weeks ago when I uh, he was around starting pitcher fourteen overall, and uh, that's on top of the hitter value he gives you. He gives you as well. So I'll take Shohei Otani. All right, that brings me up for my final two picks. Again, we're doing the snake draft format here, so I am up at picks 15 and 16 overall, but that is my keepers 5 and 6. And I'm excited about these last two picks. Uh, First one, I have to take my guy. He's the top keeper left on my board, Nestor Cortez, Nasty Nestor, who is a 14th rounder next year, an 11th rounder the year after that and an eighth rounder in his final year of eligibility. I've covered him at length, so I won't expand on that. But with my final pick of the keeper draft, my final pick, I'm going to take the guy that I thought Jake was going to take when he said he was going to make a fun pick, and I'm going to take Jacob deGrom with... I would have, but it was against the rules. Ah, I see. After he took Sandy, you couldn't take deGrom... So I'm going to take Jacob deGrom, who is eligible in the fourth round next year, the third round the year after that, and then the second round in his final year. This is an early keeper who I do expect 
uh, to be kept as long as he is healthy all three years of his eligibility if he's able to come back and kind of just recapture form. He is unparalleled in the game when he is healthy. And uh, yeah, he is a guy that I want on my team, which is kind of funny to say is my sixth and final keeper pick. But he is currently hurt or, or kind of coming back from injury, I should say. And he doesn't get a huge discount. Although with a player of his caliber, if he is able to stay healthy, it, any discount is is pretty incredible. So Jacob deGrom is my last pick. And of course, right before that, it was Nasty Nestor. Jake, give us your final, your sixth and final pick of this keeper draft. I guess just a quick fun fact about deGrom. If he is kept all three years, he will be the first two-time three-year keeper. Uh, But my pick is going to be the meatball Alejandro Kirk uh, at catcher. Uh, I do, I I just really believe in this guy. Um, He's basically Freddie Freeman light at the catcher position, which is a really nice thing. For those of us who, if you've experienced the struggle that is bad catching, you you know what a you would know what a blessing Alejandro Kirk is for your teams. And I, I don't have him in this league, but I do have him in another league, and it's it's been it's been fun. So I'll take Alejandro Kirk. He's in the seventeenth round, thirteenth round, and tenth round. JC, you are on the clock for the final pick, the eighteenth overall. Your sixth of the keeper of your keeper pool. The final pick of the keeper draft. Who are you taking? Uh, I was going back and forth, but um, I I think I it doesn't overlap, so I was going to keep Perez, Salvador Perez. I actually don't have him written down, but I want to say you kept him in the eleventh round this past year. Yeah. So I think he's only eligible for one more season in the eighth round. Yeah, it was him or the fun pick of O'Neill Cruz, but I'm. Gonna go with Salvador Perez. All right. Uh I'm gonna just read off the guys that I had ranked but did not get drafted. <clears throat> I think these first two were a casualty of uh you guys being blocked by rounds, or at least JC being blocked by rounds, and then both of you for the second guy. My first guy that did not get drafted but had him ranked, he was my number 15th. Uh, ranked keeper was Freddie Peralta, who was ranked in the ninth round or eligible in the ninth round next year, and then the seventh the following year. My sixteenth ranked keeper was Tim Anderson, who is eligible for one more year in the tenth round. And then my eighteenth ranked keeper, I I only ranked eighteen, but I do have three honorable mentions that I'll fire off quickly after. But it was Dustin May, who is eligible in the eighteenth, fourteenth, and eleventh. My honorable mentions were Riley Green, Nate Avaldi, and Shane Baz. You guys have any honorable mentions or anybody on your boards that did not get drafted that you wanted to shout out? A couple early round picks in uh, Wheeler and Freed. I also wanted to shout out. Um, I'd give Wheeler a slight edge, but they're both available in the fourth, and I think they'd both be a discount there. JC, anybody that you want to shout out? No, I think you guys covered uh, pretty much covered all of them. I'm more upset that I actually missed us than May. Yeah, should should have done more research. Jordan, get on his ass. So I'll read it. off the final keeper pools. If for those of you that are listening, you can uh, 
I guess there won't be like a tiny poll or anything, but you can share your thoughts in the group with us who has the best keeper pool. Um, I guess I should probably put the rounds with these guys, right? Because it, it seems like JC's approach was take the best players. Um, I mean, that's my approach anyways. Well, I guess what I'm getting at is you have a lot of early round keepers. Jake and I, I think, tried to go for more players that have really big discounts. So I'll read off each each of our keeper pools, and I'll quickly I'll just list the round that they're going to have for next season. That way, I try to keep it brief. So JC's keeper pool is Corbin Burns, tenth rounder next year; Jordan Alvarez, fourth rounder next year; Kyle Tucker, ninth rounder next year; Shane McClanahan, second rounder next year; Austin Riley, twelfth rounder next year; Salvador Perez eighth rounder next year. Jake's keeper pool is Carlos Rodon, 16th rounder next year. Joe Musgrove, 10th rounder next year. Sandy Alcantara, fourth rounder next year. Tony Gonsolin, 13th, sorry, 14th rounder next year. I was having trouble finding his name. Shohei Otani, sixth rounder next year. And Alejandro Kirk, 17th rounder next year and then my keeper pool is spencer strider who is a 20th rounder next year julio rodriguez a 16th rounder next year dylan cease an 11th rounder next year tyler glass now a 13th rounder next year nestor cortez a 14th rounder next year and jacob Degrom, a fourth rounder next year so again if you're listening Send us a message in the group. Let us know who you whose keeper pool you like the most of this keeper draft. Just be interesting to see uh, different people's taste. But without further ado, let's get into the matchup preview. Looking ahead to week 14. JC, what is your thing to watch for? I said the battle for the wild cards. I just think it, it's kind of fun to see it. And with Eddie and Jero, and I think both of them are one or two games out. And then also that Eddie and Mike play each other here. Um, so if Mike pulls off a 2-0, he too could be fighting for a chance. And uh, I think the matchup between uh, you and Jordan is going to be another big thing to look out for. Yeah, speaking of, I guess I'll just hop in right there. My thing to watch for is a revival of the old Western rivalry. And what I mean by that is Jordan and I are both in the West. Uh Jordan just made a big move by taking just a slight downgrade at, at right field from Tucker to Springer, but he was able to add another ace to his pitching staff in the process. And while I don't think that this catapults his team into top three territory, I do think that this gives him the second best starting pitching rotation in the league. Um, but I do get first shot at dismantling any newfound confidence that he has in his team. Although Shane Bieber is making it tough on me he threw a complete game today. Jake, what is your thing to watch for? Uh, my thing to watch for is two start pitchers actually making the second start. We're at the point in the year right before the all-star break where it's easiest for teams to just give their give their ace an extra day off and he can take that second because now he's a whole week to rest. So um, I, it's, I'd be interested to see how many two-start guys actually make the second start. Curious, wouldn't it be – more incentivizing to have them make those second starts since they do have an entire week off regardless of whether they, you know, 
pitched the second time this week. I mean, why wouldn't they just give him an extended rest? Like some of the, I'm, I'm thinking more like some of the guys, I guess, like a Justin Verlander, who's, I know he's not, I know like a lot of some of the younger guys, if they're pushing for innings, now is the perfect time to conserve innings because you have a built in break. I agree for younger guys. I think it makes sense. But I, I think like your, your staff aces that are proven, I don't, I don't know. I guess you could go either way with it, but I would think like they're already going to get a long break with the all-star break. So I would probably, I guess, I guess like to rephrase, I'm more, I'm more interested to see like if anybody kind of gets burned by this, where they only started a guy because he was two star eligible and hmm. he doesn't end up making the second start. Sure. Makes sense. Matchup predictions. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I am slowly making my way back to a respectable record. I am 23 and 25. Jake, your record's looking pretty good at this point, 32 and 22. And then the guest is looking strong, 41 and 19 this year. JC, let's see if you can keep the momentum. Uh, first matchup of the week is Freedom All-Stars versus the NFTs. JC, who do you have in your own matchup? Uh, Freedom All-Stars for sure. Jake? I also picked Nick. I also picked Nick. Second matchup of the week, Aston the Jackpot versus weak pullout hitter. Sam's team, uh, I said that Jordan has the second best starting pitching rotation in the league. Sam has Garrett Cole, Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, Max Scherzer. And uh, unfortunately for him, he has to choose between Zach Gallen and Nate Valdi as his fifth starter and play matchups with every week. So he is just cursed with that starting pitching rotation. I'm taking weak pullout hitter in this matchup. How about you guys? Same pullout hitter. All right, so we're two for two so far. Third matchup of the week, Jake's fantasy baseball team versus Team No Name. Jake, despite Scott's strong start, I have you winning this matchup. JC, who do you have in this one? I got Jake, too. Jake, are you going to have us go three for three here? I am. Fourth matchup of the week, Team C. Deemer versus Team Positivity. Jake, who do you have in this one? I have Courtney winning. JC? I have Courtney. I have Courtney. Fifth matchup of the week, Big Money Mike versus Gone Forever. I think that this might be the first one where we finally get a little disparity in the picks. I have Big Money Mike winning this matchup. JC, which way did you go here? I went Eddie, Gone Forever. Jake, break the tie. This one was pretty close, so I just gave it to the team that had the volume advantage in both hitting and pitching, and that is Eddie. And then the last matchup of the week, this is another matchup that should, you know, before the actual matchup started, I would imagine it would have been tough to pick from. I did not change my pick despite Bieber's complete game today. I chose my team to win. Uh, It's been the best team in the league over the past two months or so. So I, I picked myself to continue the momentum. JC, how about you? I have Jordan and I actually put, I have him by minus five. Did you make your selection before or after seeing that Shane Bieber through a complete game? Just curious. I made the decision after I traded him the players. I just uh, figured it's going to make it a really good matchup. Jake, break the tie. I picked your team, Nate. Thank you for the vote of confidence. You're welcome. I'm feeling a little less confident after uh, 
After having a complete game dropped on my head, but we will see how the team bounces back and responds to adversity. For our Around the League portion of the podcast, Jake, you can kick us off with your League History Fact of the Week. All right, this week, LEL legend Bartolo Colon was added by Brendan on an honorary 11-hour contract, allowing him to retire with the team that last drafted him in the 26th round in 2021 and the team that has rostered him at different points throughout four seasons. Happy retirement, Big Sexy. May your legend never die. What a beautiful tribute to uh, Big Sexy Bartolo Colon. News and notes. Byron Buxton will get half as many at-bats going forward. So Byron Buxton was out of the starting lineup for a second straight game in this past Thursday's series finale, so going back about half a week, against the Cleveland Guardians with a continued flare-up in the tendonitis of his right knee. Apparently it makes it too painful for him to swing and run. It's kind of bad news. Despite that, the Twins maintain that there are no plans for the center fielder to go on the injured list. Here's a quote from Twins manager Rocco Baldelli. He has done an admirable job, and he's going to continue to do an admirable job going forward dealing with this. But like I said, when you literally can't swing or run, you can't play the game. And there have been other days this year earlier in the season when he couldn't do those things, and he just doesn't play those days. And there are other days where we have to give him a day off his feet so it doesn't get to the point where we're talking like this. So guys, of course, he remains a player that is going to be kept. Like He's not going to be released back into the pool because the discount is so steep. But when I personally think of keepers, I typically kind of think of them similarly to a real-life starting pitcher rotation. You kind of have the, the front-line ace, quote-unquote, keepers, and then you have the serviceable back-end keepers. With this news and Buxton's lengthy track record, both good and bad, which end of the spectrum does Byron Buxton currently fall under for you? Jake, I'll let you go first. This is worst case scenario because if he's playing only a couple days, he's pretty much worthless. So I don't know. I think you're speaking too soon about him being thrown back into the keeper pool. This is how he's going to be treated from now on. Well, I didn't necessarily take this as like, this is just how it's going to be permanently. I mean, maybe for the rest of this season, which would be very bad. And maybe to some people that is an indicator that it, could be like this permanently, but I would hope that he's just not going to, you know, I would hope he's not getting a 50% workload for the rest of his MLB career. That would be pretty bad. (laughs) So it sounds like he falls into the back end kind of spectrum for you right now at best with this news, but he would kind of have to snap out of it. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of it's my own frustration with the situation. Like I'd rather him play in short spurts and be go on the injured list. Sure. Play sporadically. JC, how about you? Um, not a big fan of Bucks. I don't think I ever really was, but like in, in this perspective, like I respect him as a player, but honestly, like the health is actually like pretty concerning, especially from not only like a reality perspective, but also like the fantasy perspective. Um, I think it's just uh dangerous waters to be treading in. Lucas Giolito is working on fixing his fastball. Uh, Pitching coach Ethan Katz said, quote, we are working on his fastball when they were in Houston. 
uh, picking up the quote, some of the stuff that we saw in film and in its behavior was just not his norm. It was kind of dipping below his vertical movement, meaning it just wasn't dropping as much or moving as much. And the cutting wasn't the same as the straight pitch that he's been throwing. We really wanted to dig into that and make sure that the vertical movement was there, end quote. So guys, at least, you know, Giolito knows what is contributing to his poor results, but I'm wondering, do we expect him to kind of fully regain his form of the last two to three seasons, at least by the time our fantasy playoffs hit? Because I believe Jordan currently rosters him, so of course Jordan is hoping for that. What I'm wondering is, is just knowing what the problem is enough for him to kind of find a fix? Jake, I'll go to you first, because you're kind of our resident pitching expert. This sounds to me more like a mechanics issue where like he's not either not spinning the fastball correctly. I, I mean, I'm assuming his grip is fine, but it's like if something smaller can be off like that, like something small can be off and it can really throw everything off. This sounds more like a mechanical issue rather than like a loss of skills. So that's why I would think that this, I don't want to say it would be an easy fix, but I, I, that just, I think that really what I, my interpretation of it is, is that the, the Giolito old is still in there. It's just a matter of kind of ironing out this this issue. So you think he will he will find his form again this season? Yeah, I, I think so. JC, what do you where do you fall on this? Uh I I had a hard time with, with this actually, but um I, I I feel like he won't go to that like what we've seen two or three seasons ago, but I, I feel like he'll he'll get some momentum back. I, I think what he needs to do too is kind of like go back on, on a change up too, but obviously you need to make sure your fastball is there first. Um, I know right now his four seam fastball, he's getting half the strikeouts that he did last year. And uh, current after half the strikes on his change up, which is that's actually currently his best pitch. He's got a whiff rate of 42% and a put away rate of 34 it was like 30 34 35 so i i mean it put some things in perspective too on his velocity too he's only in like the 44th percentile so i mean i i think he like he's not doing terrible right now and i think you can rely on some bounce back but i i don't think he's gonna go fully back into that form I think another thing to be mentioned with Giolito is I want to say that a lot of the fantasy community has looked at him over the last two to three years as a, as a true ace. But I think when you look at his numbers, like he's been a mid threes ERA pitcher, which is very good. Like you don't complain about that. If that's what, you know, if, if that's a pitcher on your fantasy team, but I want to say he's been kind of incorrectly dubbed an ace because he's been young like he was I think he's just 27 now. So going back 2 to 3 years, 24 to 25, I think there was almost like an underlying implied expectation that he was going to continue to develop, continue to get better. And so I think that people kind of you know, they called him an ace too early. When I don't think that he's actually ever truly found uh ace performance over over a full season. So, he's basically he's basically been the premium version of Jose Barrios. Yeah, exactly. Like he's been a a very solid SP two for for years now. 
And I think Jordan would be happy to get that back. But I think, you know, even even in our league, he's been drafted as high as the first round. So I think that people have kind of incorrectly viewed him through the lens of an ace. And I just kind of want to reset the expectation that when I say Lucas Giolito, will he regain his form? I don't mean, is Lucas Giolito going to be an ace again this year? Because I don't think that he really ever was. I think he was just kind of like a high upside SP2. I think Jordan would be very thrilled to get that back, but I think that might be the best case scenario for 2022 at this point. I don't think that he suddenly unlocks a level that he has never even reached when he was good yet uh, for 2022. So, uh, Continuing with conversation around pitchers, welcome back to Chris Sale, who is going to be making his MLB season debut tonight, actually, Tuesday, with the Red Sox. Guys, obviously it doesn't matter for this year because he's on Eddie's team who is uh, clearly not really trying to win. But do you guys expect Chris Sale to ever capture his vintage form again? Jake, I think I know your answer, so I'll go to you first. Yeah, I mean, I already kind of alluded that I, I don't. Um, I, I'm, I'm sort of in, like, I'll believe it when I see it mode with Sale. Part of that is how bad he was last year. I know he was coming back from Tommy John, but another thing is he's he's suddenly very, very brittle. And this is a trend that we've seen since 2019. Uh, and part of me thinks this is people have crapped on his mechanics for years. I know that the funky deliveries really helped him, but you know, at some point, I think a lot of people expected that to come back to bite him. Uh, it happened a lot. He lasted a lot longer than people thought, but I'm wondering if this is now, you know, like the really thin frame, the really wacky delivery. I'm wondering if this is now starting to catch up with him and he's going to be a little more brittle than we're used to seeing from now on. JC, what about you? Do you expect Chris Sale to ever return to vintage Chris Sale? Volume wise, no. But, I mean, he, he is, what, like 32, 33 years old still. So I still feel like, you know, there, there's still a lot of value in Chris Sale. Like, you, you can't count. I just don't think you can count him out. I, I don't think he'll be in vintage form, but I wouldn't say count him out. Jordan Alvarez was placed on the injured list with a re-aggravated hand injury. That sucks. Luckily, uh, I believe it's Brendan. I shouldn't say luckily because I do know that he is competing for a wild card spot, but um, I guess better for a selling team to take a bump than one of the top teams. I don't know if that's politically correct to say, but I think in general, you'd rather see a team whose intentions aren't fully going for it take a little bit of a bump than one who's all in. Still, sucks for Brendan's team, sucks for baseball. But the last piece of news is that Frankie Montas felt good after playing catch this weekend. I actually just saw while we were recording that he threw a bullpen session today and felt good following the bullpen session um, and that he is hoping to make his return against the Houston Astros this weekend. The first question was how confident are we that he does make that return? I feel like at this point, if he's saying that he felt good, that you know we can be pretty confident in that. But even still with him saying that he felt good guys, would it be smarter for the athletics to run him out there this weekend to prove quote unquote, that he is healthy or should they elect to rest him and make sure that he's fully healthy since he is their biggest trade chip? JC, I'll ask you first. 
Uh, I'd, I'd, I'd be holding them, but I, I do think they'll let them go out and maybe throw like maybe like three and a half innings or something just to kind of, you know, like you said, I kind of give them that view for that type of trade. Jake, what would you do here? I think that they have no choice. I think they have to run him out there so that he can prove that he's healthy. Cause I don't think anybody's really going to want to trade for him. If there's any question that his shoulder is not a hundred percent. Yeah. But I think there's going to be a week and a half after the trade deadline. You should, he should be able to make at least one, but if he is a deadline day deal, two starts for sure. Are we talking about how confident are we that he's going to make this next start? I actually thought I saw something where he, he now wasn't going to make this next start that he was going to be pushed back until after the all-star break. I just saw while we were recording that he is hoping to return this weekend, but let me double check that. But yeah, asking, I mean, I might be wrong. I think they've gone back and forth a couple times. I think that there's enough time though. Like even if they decided not to start him this weekend, like let's say that he is a deadline day deal. I think that he would be able to make two starts after the all-star break to kind of quote unquote prove that he's healthy. Yeah, I guess maybe I'm misunderstanding the question. Like I would I I think he, once you once you declare that he is good to go, that you like he needs to be a full go and he needs to go out and show that he's healthy. Okay. That's fair. So the latest update on Montas is that he felt good after throwing a twenty five pitch bullpen session today. He hopes to start during the three game series against the Astros this weekend. So I guess there's your answer. JC, anything to share with the people as we close out episode number 15 on the season? No, it's been a fun episode. It's been a fun season. Agreed and agreed. Jake, anything for you to share? I believe you have an off week next week during the All-Star break. No, nothing to share. Um, no no monologue this week because I no, – nothing no, – no, uh, no qualms with the with the blown save for this week. Maybe next time. I think what you guys have to look forward to for next week, I am confident that Nick is in. I think we might get Mike and do like a, an actual in real life, all in the same place roundtable episode. I believe we did that for last year's All Star Break, and I, I know that Nick expressed interest in doing it again this year. So the three of us might get together like actually at the same place and record all on one like laptop. So maybe the sound won't be as clear, but should be in for a fun episode if we're able to kind of rally the crew for that. But regardless, it'll be a fun episode. I guess there's only one more episode after we release this one for the entire month of July because next week is the extended all-star break matchup which means that the the following episode after that is actually the first week of August. So it's going to seem like we're kind of skipping a week, but it's it's only because of the All-Star break. We just have one more episode left this month. Uh, you got me, Nick, possibly Mike. Next week, you got Jake and Jerwin on tap the week after that. And then Jake and I are back for the rest of the season together to kind of do the playoff run. Um We'll do the final week regular season, the quarterfinals, the semifinals. For the championship preview, we're going to hope to bring on the two people that are in the championship as we have in the past. 
And then for the final episode of the season, we'll hope to bring on the league champion to kind of recap the season as we have in the past. So we're really cruising through the season. It's been a lot of fun. Hope it's, you know, it remains fun and good luck to everybody the rest of the way. For Jake Deemer and Justin Cress, a.k.a. JC, a.k.a. Squee, I am Nate Endries, and we will catch you on the next one. Eeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeee